Hello and welcome. This is Date Your Ego, Marry Your Soul podcast. I'm your host, Serafina, and I am an ego and soul enthusiast. We can no longer be strangers to our egos and how they function. So come and join me as we find out why and how this philosophy of dating your ego but marrying your soul is true and useful for you. Today we get to learn why the debilitating effects of a condition like multiple cirrhosis did not mean the end of one woman's world. Multiple cirrhosis, for those who don't know, is a condition that can affect the brain or spinal cord. It affects about 100,000 people in the UK. Its symptoms include problems with vision, movement, sensation, and balance. It is most commonly diagnosed in people in their 20s and 30s, and about two to three times more common in women than men. Now, one of the favorite tools of the ego to keep us in control of our lower selves is a debilitating disease. But if we choose to marry our souls, we don't have to fall for the ego's tricks. And demonstrating this with her own life experience is Lauren Anderson, a government official with the New South Wales government in Sydney, Australia. Or how I like to think of her, a brave human being who not only conquered MS, but also thrived through it. So without further ado, let's listen in. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How are you today? Thank you so much. I am thrilled to be here. That's how I am. Oh, it's our pleasure. It's really a pleasure. So why don't we start with you telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Okay, so I live in Sydney, Australia. I'm originally from New Zealand, though. I have been here for 17 years. It was initially about a five or six month stop off before I continued traveling. And here I am still 17 years later. And as you mentioned, I'm a New South Wales government official, so I'm in the public service, and that's with a state government. And previous to that, I was with local government, so council. And so I've been in service of the public for a number of years. Um, what makes Lauren Lauren? I really am, and in the last, I would say, 15 years or so, and finding out about that. And it's a hard one to put some words around, actually. But I'm very happy to be getting closer to Lauren, loving Lauren. Yeah, and I expect to do so and then I die. I'll just keep continuing <laughs> the exploration on who am I and who am I in this skin bag on this blue dot that's, yeah, going around the sun or whatever the saying is. Yes, that's a really beautiful way of defining yourself. Thank you for that. Tell us a bit about your experience of living in Sydney. What is it like a city? What do you love about it? What do you hate about it? Yeah. Yeah, there is a bit of love-hate, I think. Mostly love. The climate here in Australia is, for the most part, significantly better than New Zealand, where I grew up. After living here for about 18 months, I felt like like a fog had lifted from me. So Sydney, for those that don't know, you know, we're now in well into autumn, into fall, and we had 21, 22 degrees Celsius here today. It will get down a few degrees lower than that into winter, but for the most part, the sun will be out a lot. In summertime, we're up into the high 20s and into the 30s. Again, lots of sun. And I think growing up in New Zealand, in Dunedin, which I love, it's a beautiful city, but very changeable, inclement weather, often quite cloudy and not a lot of sunlight. 
And so to touch on my MS already in our chat, one of the commonalities in people that have MS is that they've grown up, particularly in their formative years, up to about 15 or 16, in areas where there's not a lot of sun. So, you know, if you look at the globe, where Dunedin is down towards the bottom of New Zealand, and you run around the longitude or is it latitude there? Um, similarly, in the Northern Hemisphere, you know, kind of like at about the level of Scotland, you know, the, the people who live in, in those zones are not getting a lot of sunlight, so their bodies aren't stimulated to produce vitamin D. And so low vitamin D is one of the, the major commonalities in people with MS. So I certainly think um, for that it's been helpful and just my mental health overall. So really, um, you know, Sydney and living, you know, in this real temperate, uh, climate has been wonderful for my overall physical and mental health. Wow, that sounds like a, yeah. a great combination because it's like you move to Sydney to get the sun to service your health and you're servicing the public. It's twofold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, win-win. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about MS. What is MS and you know what has your journey been with it? Okay, so I'll start with the second part because it will help me explain the first part. So my journey with it has been I've very much just taken it on as how is this affecting me and how is this affecting me today and how is it affecting me now. I've not done a lot of research into exactly what it is. I've not wanted to read a lot of stories about how other people have been affected because the biggest thing about MS is that that no doctor could predict with absolute certainty about anybody's path with it and how they might experience it and the challenges that they might have and, you know, what might happen to them physically over time. So reading, you know, some of the, the nitty gritty, the nuts and bolts of people's stories about how it's affected them physically is not going to serve me that well. But let me try and just give a quick summary about what it is as a condition. Um, so MS is short for multiple sclerosis. A sclerosis is a small piece of irritation or inflammation, aggravation, and I think that could be used across many conditions, but for multiple sclerosis, it's um, affecting the central nervous system. So the sheath that goes around our brain and around our spinal column. So that's a fluid that protects the, the, the central nervous system. And it gets little bits of irritation, the little sclerosis. And depending on where they are around your brain or on your spinal cord is to what effect that they'll have on your body. And it may be that you get one of those and then you never get something again. Or you might have a couple of incidences and that's when it becomes multiple and that's when it becomes MS and you can be diagnosed with it as a condition. Wow, so quite challenging then. It can be very very much so, yes. And, you know, I think one of the biggest challenges is, is how do I deal with my head about it? You know, how do I manage this in my mind? The body will do what the body does. Um, and I've, I've got to say, I've been extremely lucky. So if there's anybody listening who has MS, you know, I, I can empathize. And at the same time, you may well have a much worse experience of the condition than I do. I've had some very minor issues over time. For the most part, I've been extremely lucky in terms of my physical self. Now, the big challenge for me was dealing with my my thoughts about it, my thinking about it, my context around MS. I just I, I withdrew into myself and it imploded a, a relationship I had at the time because I just really just took such a major step back. I couldn't understand how you know how could anybody want to be with me anyway. And 
you know, my, my reference point for MS was a, a black American comedian called Richard Pryor, who in the 80s ended up, I, I can just still see him on a stage in a wheelchair and, and being all shaky when he was talking. And um, that was, and I knew that he had MS. And so that was it that kind of like stuck in my brain. And I really had to come to terms with, you know, that yes, all of these things could potentially happen. But ultimately, all I've got is today and right now. And what's happening right now is that nothing, you know, like I, I haven't had an incident since 2013. Wow. I may be saying way too much, but, um, and I probably got off track from the question. Um, <laughs> no, I think it's uh, from what you've said, it, you've definitely are coming across as someone who's very brave. You know, it's, I think people underestimate what help means to them. And it's really a big blow to a human being to not have that but despite that I can see you and I can feel your energy and you're here talking to us about it and helping listeners with MS and I think this is a real story of bravery so you should be really proud and you're definitely not talking too much Mm. (laughs) well thank you you're very kind yeah I do think that uh, if I had to say the one thing that has really helped for me around MS and keeping as well as as I am um, you know I, I, I do have to acknowledge I guess what I've done in terms of some lifestyle choices and changes that I've made but a lot of the work that I've done on, on my thinking on my mind and where that goes and I, I really do believe that my attitude around it has been the thing that serves me the best that I have something called MS that MS doesn't have me and it doesn't define me you know, and that whole thing about, you know, not getting freaked out about the future and what could happen. And look, I don't want to sound flippant about that because, you know, it's a challenge to get a control of those thoughts and not to have fear and anxiety about that unknown. But, you know, I'm a firm believer in um, ongoing and forever um, personal and self-development. And I've, you know, read some books and done some courses and I see various health practitioners along the way and I'll do that till I die so I have put the work in and it is possible to let go of some of those really scary fearful thoughts about what life might throw up. Mm. In a sense from a spiritual perspective the more texts I study from Hinduism, Buddhism or even Christianity are one common shared fear is fear of death fear of our own death, Mm. all of our fears in our lives when it comes to relationships, to work, to anything, underlying all those fears is fear of death. And we're constantly Mm. trying to conquer that fear. And uh, Mm. in a sense, a spiritual perspective on illness is that it brings you closer to conquering that fear. But that's if you can be strong enough to do that. And it sounds like you know, you spoke about your thinking and your mind, and that really jumped out at me. And it seems like you might have had an aha moment at some point where you thought, you know, MS doesn't have me. Can you tell us how you made your mind stronger and how you sort of challenged your thinking that might have wanted to go in a sort of despondent direction or negative direction? Wow. So I think... It's been a bit of a a cumulative effect of a lot of things. But a few months after I was diagnosed, I started down a path of a lot of personal development courses where I was kind of, you know, I would be sitting in the course room and the leader would be at the front talking 
you know, about various things. We would have other people in the course might share about a situation that they were in. And that the, the design of it, you know, was kind of full immersion for a couple of days and I couldn't get away from what was going on in my head. So I intentionally put myself into a situation where I, I had to look at, at how I was thinking, how I thought. I put the mirror up. I paid somebody else to put the mirror up in front of my face. So I, I had to see, you know, what are, the, what are these thoughts that are coming up that are not serving me? And, you know, it was, it can be a bit scary doing something like that. And, um, you know, I was a little bit nervous, you know, kind of stepping into that kind of self-development. And what works, works really well for me is putting myself on the hook. So I say yes to something and then I follow through on it and however uncomfortable that might be. So I think a lot of the times we know the things that are going to help us out, the things that we should do. You know, we know so much in theory. It's like, you know, how do you lose weight? Well, there's millions of books out there that tell us and we know you eat less and exercise more. Although, you know, that's definitely changing mm-hmm. in terms of uh, what you eat can make a big difference regardless of the quantity. But, you know, we know so much that it doesn't necessarily make a difference. And I am a big fan of putting myself on the hook, you know, saying yes to something and then following through. Wow. Okay. Sounds like a strategy all of us could benefit from having in our lives a bit of commitment, really, underlying that statement there. So can you tell us a bit about these therapies that you've been incorporating into your routine and lifestyle so people can learn and maybe apply them in their own life? Mm -hmm. So I see a kinesiologist regularly. And she, you know, will often do some kind of energy work and tapping into emotion. And she loves it when she can get her hands on me. However, we speak on the phone a lot of the time. So to support that work, which I've found it to be tremendously beneficial for me. And I've seen multiple kinesiologists over time and they've all been, they've all been really great. And I think, you know, even if you're not open to something like that, it still works. So you could go along and pay your money and you're still going to get great benefit out of it. But I also go to an acupuncturist who's also a Chinese herbalist. Um, so occasionally I'll be on some Chinese herbs. And, you know, I do that really for maintenance. I did have a dicky knee uh, that he fixed. So there was a physical thing. I fell off a scooter when I was 20 and it didn't come right for 20 years until I went to him. But now he just does a, does a nice tune-up for me. And I've also found a wonderful GP, a general practitioner, so my local doctor and I, you know, I don't believe in coincidences. We came to each other, um, but he's been excellent and, you know, very supportive of my holistic approach to myself. But he uncovered a couple of things that even my neurologist, my MS specialist, had not noticed, um, had not for some reason or another, not seeing wow. some reporting that he got. Mm. So I, I actually have um, Hashimoto's, which is an underactive thyroid. So it's another autoimmune condition. I'm uh, collecting them. Um, <laughs> apparently, if you have one, you might be more likely to get the other, you know, so that's, I guess, you know, part of, you know, that's one of my things in life is to have some autoimmune stuff going on. Uh, but yeah, my GP picked up on it. And uh, a common thing with um, hypothyroidism, so underactive thyroid is that you feel very tired and you're sluggish. And I hadn't really been experiencing that. And uh, my doctor said, well, we'll put you on 
the thyroxine, which is the replacement hormone. Your body just can't make it, so it does need to be. Um, although there's a vegan version, which I'd like to investigate a little bit more, but there's nonetheless. I'm on a on medication for it, and my doctor said in five or six weeks you'll be bouncing off the walls. You won't even know yourself, and I'm like, oh, I'm doing okay, I, you know. Yeah. Um, but sure enough, five or six weeks later, I was buzzing. I had a lot more energy, and I was really wishing that a year before when my neurologist received pretty much the exact same test results that he hadn't picked up on this. So look, I'm, I'm, um, I am of a holistic view and that we need Western medicine when we need it. I'll always enjoy exploring other options and complement that with some natural therapies as well. Well, the thing is that there's a range of therapies available to people these days of all kinds of conditions, and it's about finding the right combination but like you said, it's about being open to various therapies. I actually uh, went and saw a kinesiologist myself, and I was quite confused with the hand movements and the stuff she ran over my body. You know, I was a bit confused about it. But over time, I think when you invest more time with these therapies, you can feel the benefit in your life, in your body. And it's about mm-hmm. investing that time. The one thing we invest time in without a shadow of a doubt is the pub or wine or those kind of habits. You know, we seem to feel like it never fails us, but it does every day, every next day after a binge, we have a hangover, but we still go back, but we won't go to a physiologist because it sounds weird. And we don't understand it. And yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, if you want to run fast, for 10 kilometers or you know six miles you would need to train for that you need to put in some time and some effort on the treadmill or out um, on the road and you will feel the benefit and see the benefit and you'll be able to run fast it's so similar to what you were saying about you know the the therapies you can't just go to one thing and it's going to be a magic wand you know you do need to to put in put in the hours and the little bit of cash but I would invite anybody who does have an experience where, you know, they'll try something and it's not quite right. That could be, it could be the person. It could be the therapist. Not that there would be anything wrong with them, but the, the click may just not be there. They may be practicing a slightly different type of kinesiology or whichever, you know, like a physiotherapist from one to another would have a different manner and a different way about them and a different, you know, strength and firmness of manipulating you. So, you know, one time and one thing doesn't mean you should write the whole thing off. So, yeah, yeah I, I definitely agree with what you were saying about putting it in, putting the yards in. And can I, I mean, it's just, it, this interview just begs the question, life, Lauren before MS and Lauren after MS, how is she, obviously, the physical symptoms apart, you know, how is she different in how she loves herself, loves the world or mm. habits mm. That- like to share with people that MS taught her? Yeah. Well, boy, Lauren before MS was at the pub <laughs> a lot. I was working in hospitality at the time. I'd been, that was my first job when I moved to Sydney, was working in a very busy restaurant that I ended up managing. And so I was there for six or seven years, a very social lifestyle, a lot of drinking, a lot of partaking and other recreational activities, all sorts of crazy fun that I had. And I was, it was like I was, I'm just coming up with this now, I was adrift somehow. It was like I was a a small little runabout boat with a slightly broken down motor on the back, you know, the directional 
pedals or whatever were all off. So I'm going around in circles or all of a sudden I'm going in a straight line and then I'm slowing down and I'm just coasting along. I didn't really have any direction and I certainly wasn't looking to center myself. I was looking to, I think, run away from myself. Mm-hmm. And then I actually started even running away physically. I quit my job and left and moved only for two short months up to the Gold Coast. And it was when I was up there that I was diagnosed with MS. And it was when I was up there that it all imploded and the relationship that I had been in. So I ended up coming back down to Sydney. My family was down here. My mum lived here at that time and some very close friends. You know, my, I have a firm family still from the people that I worked with in the restaurant. You know, so I needed to be at home base and, you know, that I started on a bit more of a journey of exploration about myself and how I could be better, how I could do better, how I could just be present to life and to me. So I started making some changes, you know, in addition to doing self-development-y stuff. You know, I was a lot more conscious about what went in my mouth. It's taken me a long time, but I can say I'm a runner now. It has literally taken years and lots of false starts, but for it's coming up to two years now. I've been running regularly, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. (laughs) And I, you know, reduced my drinking significantly And, you know, that was becoming less and less and I had longer and longer breaks. And, you know, I I haven't had anything for a few months in terms of drinking. You know, what you said before about you have the great night, but then you've got the next day. Well, it was becoming the next day and the next day and the next day. You know, and uh, an Australian writer, I read a column um, that he wrote and he referred to, you know, alcohol. It, It gives you a great night, but without it, you have a great life. I'm paraphrasing, I think. It's something like that. And I totally got it. Totally got it. Where here I was thinking that alcohol was bringing me closer to people and giving me connection. It was really just shutting me down and keeping me away. So, you know, and then diet and, you know, kind of what, what food and fuel, like I really see it as fuel now. I refer to it as fuel and the body is a machine and you've got to put the right, the right mix in and the right mix for you, for me. And what's right for you is not necessarily right for me. So that's been exploration that I've been doing as well. It sounds like you've been on an um, getting to know Lauren intensive mm. on your journey because you, from everything you're saying, it's like you're looking after yourself more. You're thinking about what it is you want, you need. And uh, it feels like MS was almost the trigger that took you away from what wasn't good for you and brought you to what is good mm. for you. I would agree with that. It was, it's like, you know, maybe there'd been messages that I had been missing before then. There'd been things telling me, you know, hey, Lauren, this is not your path. What are you doing? And I wasn't listening. I didn't pay attention. You know, I was out after work one night. This is when I was managing the restaurant. I was still in my, my manager's outfit, um, with a bunch of other staff. And we were at a local pub that where we knew all of the staff. So we, of course, ended up, we'd get locked in after closing and we'd be there for however many hours. And I, I did this ridiculous stunt thing with a pool table that one of the chefs had done. And I'm like, hey, I can do that. So I, I did that and, you know, fell off and broke my arm um, oh, and ended up having to have about have about two months off work. It was a pretty cool stunt. Like I would, I would like to do it now, Stone Cold Sober. It was fun. <laughs> You put your hands on the pool table and your feet against the wall. And so you, you're parallel to the floor. You're flat like Superman. You're like flying kind of thing. Anyway, one of my feet was on a picture, a photo 
frame that was on the wall. The, the particular pub is a is an old navy pub, and they've got so many really old photos of navy ships on the wall. And anyway, my one of my feet was on it. The manager was like, "Your foot's on the picture," and so I just took one off, which left the other one on as a nice pivot point, and I went sideways and then crashed down. Oh. And broke my arm, you know. So that was like universe going, Lauren, hey, Lauren, come on now. What are you up to? Anyway, that didn't work. So 11 months later, I was diagnosed with MS. And um, who knows how long that had been coming on. But, yeah, I definitely think it, it did serve as a wake-up call for me. And look, that was back in 2007. So, you know, we're over a decade later. This hasn't all happened overnight for me. The space that I'm in now, you know, it really is a great space. And I can't point to a beautiful house and an amazing car and husband, dog, children, any, any of that, millions of dollars in the bank, millions of Bitcoin. I, I can't, I can't point to any of that. And I am the happiest that I've ever been. And I know that some of that comes with aging just getting a bit older and letting go of, of things. But certainly I, I do have to acknowledge myself without wanting to sound too full of myself, but I've got to acknowledge the work that I've done and also that it does take some time. So for anybody listening, you know, the, these tiny little incremental changes that you might be making or if you feel like you're not even making headway, you know, look back to three months ago, you know, what were you eating then or what were you drinking then or how much were you, sleep, were you sleeping well then? What is the difference now? Um, it can be like two steps forward and one back. But when you do kind of look over time, and I'm looking back over a decade or so, you know, I've tracked massively high. So don't give up. Yeah. And, and you know, about the car and the million Bitcoin and the house and all of that, you're, you're not on the show that says date your soul and marry your ego. You're on a show that says date your ego and marry your soul. You're the perfect candidate for this show because you've actually dated your ego with your job and then you've married your soul mm. post MS. Mm. I really want listeners to hear about your travel diaries a little bit, if you can tell us what got you started, what got you so passionate about it and some of the places mm-hmm. you've been to. Yeah, travel. Um, so I came to Sydney 17 years ago for a few months to save some money to keep traveling. I was a late starter on traveling and all of my friends had, or many of my friends had finished university and then taken off overseas. Kiwis, you know, people from New Zealand go on what we call our OE, our overseas experience or the big OE. So lots of my friends had done that, were doing that, had come back from doing that. Some of them still are doing that many, many, many years later. And I just, I don't know, you know, what, what was I doing? But I didn't get around to it. Didn't get around to it. I was just floating. So eventually I thought, right, I'm going to go to Sydney because I know some people there. I'm going to make some money and I'm going to keep doing this traveling thing. And then it got to, oh, must have been about 12 or 13 years later and I was still here. (laughs) And I'm like, what am I doing? I just got caught up. I got caught up in life and the sun and the restaurant and the partying. And then I started thinking more and more about it, about how I wanted to see the world experience new people and new places and new cultures. I felt like I was quite open as a person anyway, that I could be cracked well and truly wide open even more so. So I can't recall what triggered it, but I, instead of thinking like I had to save money, go on a short holiday, come back, save more money, go on another short holiday, I'm like, 
why don't I just take a whole year off? Why don't I save up a ton of cash and I go away for a whole year? And that's what I ended up doing. And you know what? I stopped drinking for seven months and I reckon I saved about $8,000. That's what I calculated it to be. The drink, the food, the taxis, the bad food the next day. Yeah, so I set off and I ended up doing a round-the-world trip. It was 13 months all up. I started in Southeast Asia. And, you know, at that point, I had been to three different countries before. The one I was born in, New Zealand, the one I moved to, Australia, and I had one week in Tahiti for a friend's birthday. So I've been to three countries. So if you're listening and you're living in London or somewhere in the, the UK, Ireland and Europe, you're probably going, wow, you know, I went to three countries before I was three because you'd be, you're so close. New Zealand, Australia, we're a wee way away. So yeah, I put a lot on my list and Southeast Asia was followed by India and then where did I go? A little, a little bit of the Middle East and then I hit the UK and Ireland. So England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, also a, a tiny little bit of Europe um, and then spent three months in the States on my way back to New Zealand where I rounded it off with a couple of months catching up with our friends and family there and then back to Sydney. Wow, around the world. I didn't I don't think that's possible, but I would love to do it one day. I am going to ask you a question and put you on the spot. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, do it. Well, give me a common human quality you found around the world, you know, that would help us chill out a bit more about our lives in big cities uh, while we're chasing our careers and our ideal relationships and the mortgage and the Bitcoin, mm. there must've been some, a common thread that you found through all the human beings you saw mm. from different cultures. Yeah. If there's anything that stands yeah. out. Yeah. I guess, you know, I maybe don't have like one word as a specific quality, but it really struck me just how the same we are, how similar we are, similar to the same, we, humanity, regardless of what color our skin is or what language we speak, is that we really, we just want connection. We want to be connected to others and acknowledged by others. So there were places I would go where I couldn't speak the language and so there was no communication other than, you know, what happens in the eyes and what happens with the, the curl of the smile. Mm-hmm. And people, you know, to be, yeah, connected and respected. And I would just whack a big smile on just about everywhere I went. And I got smiles back and I felt like it really filled my bucket up. So, yeah, I think connection ultimately. And, you know, we really are all the same. If you, you know, if we were all three years old and you threw us into a sand pit together, we would be playing just fine. We would be sharing all the toys. We would be not caring that somebody had very dark skin or somebody had, you know, part of a leg missing or somebody, I don't know, had a, had a birthmark on their face. We wouldn't even see those things. And so it can be a challenge, but I, I try and see past all of that Mm. in my day to day -day life as well. And look, you know, I, can't help my mind making snap judgments about people if I'm walking down the street and somebody is smoking somewhere and it's wafting in my face, you know, like my brain will go snap, judge, that person's bad. And that's a split second. And I can't stop that thought from coming in, but I get to say what I'll do with it. You reminded me of a lecture I was listening to last evening by Pema Chodron. She's a Buddhist nun. And she was talking about what makes a human being a genuine human being. And 
everything you've just described to me about the world and about you know the common quality of what we all share as human beings has reminded me that you are someone who has gone beyond the definitions of what's good and bad and you're not af- you have become unafraid to look at the bad and really face it and still accept it. and that to her is the definition of a human being someone who is comfortable with the bad you know who's comfortable mm. face with the bad and is still comfortable with it and can still find it in their hearts to embrace everyone so i feel like really honored that you're here you know to share your genuine human learning with everyone and i guess ms has been a real blessing in that sense i would say so and you know perhaps if i wasn't living so well with ms and i am so thankful for that if i wasn't you know maybe maybe i wouldn't want to say this but i do feel like i'm very happy that that came along that has given me something in my life it you know it stopped me going down one path and now i'm choosing the path you know like um not just drifting yes and very actively so is there anything you'd like to say in addition to all the great insights you've given us to <laughs> my niche of women in their 30s early 40s who are challenged with confidence or making decisions or just mm-hmm. 21st century life really yeah it's it's with certainly with um the better ways of communication that we have nowadays social media and news stories reality tv shows you know we've got a lot that we can look at that we think that we have to live up to so your modern day life can be can be really challenging um what what would i want to say i would want to say that you're okay like you're really okay even when you're not okay you're okay and if you can be okay that you're okay then it's just amazing what you'll be able to achieve in life and what you'll be able to do if mm. you can let go of that you're not okay and that there's something wrong and that there's something that you need to fix about you if you can let go of all of that and be hey i am okay you're then released of potentially what's the block between you really being you and getting what it is you really want wow yeah i think that's very much to the point you hit the nail on the head <laughs> well, listen i'm going to i'm going to end it there and just really thank you so much i think everyone listening is going to be so inspired and i will obviously not share your contact details uh <laughs> but if anyone uh with ms has a question i uh might get in touch with you to see if it's going in the right direction. Yeah, I would be more than happy for you to be in touch with me about any questions that might come your way. And I want to say thank you very much for the opportunity of speaking with you today. My pleasure. Thank you so much for being on Date Your Ego, but marry your soul. Hi Lauren. <laughs> see you bye-bye.